I guess a lot of people in Europe, you know, didn't add the visibility as what was going to happen on the US market. And they believe that the market was going to crash. A lot of people were expecting actually the market to go down like it was the case in 2007. Like they were already expecting to see the same thing. And they just stopped buying all of Sudan. So I had all the overhead, all the edX, but I don't, I didn't have the money coming in anymore. So I was thinking, you know, I need to find a way, a better way to do business. And then world sales seems to really be the good way for me to do because we were on already doing that. We knew that we'd never had any edX with this kind of customer. And I could see that it was something that I could scale. I remember when I was telling that on the turnkey, it was hard to go to Ohio and open an office in Cleveland because I had to do a lot of stuff. Now with the world sale model, we can basically, from our office in Detroit, we can do deals all over the country. Mike check. I'm good. Mike check. Mike check. You can read about success all day long, but if you don't put in the work, the mindset, execution, and the hustle behind your vision, it just remains a dream. When everything goes wrong, you have to take all the responsibility. We uncover what high-level entrepreneurs, business owners do to rise up from hustling daily. So do what you feel passionate about. Take chances. The world becomes your library to help you to become better at your craft. Join me as I share with you actionable tips to help you grow your business, learn skills, and help you level up in your self-development journey. Your number one spot for business and personal growth is the Online Hustlers Podcast with your host, Esteban Andrade. Every day I'm hustling. So why Detroit? Detroit is, um, it's, it's actually a, a market that is definitely growing, but, but I know that the neighborhoods, uh, the, the pricing and RVs and everything is a little bit weird. Uh, so why Detroit, man? Like, why did you choose the city of Detroit? That's, that's probably the, the question I, I get the most. Uh, everybody is shocked, especially down here in Florida. You know, I, I go from time to time to those meetups down here and I talk about Detroit and, and Cleveland and all those areas in the Midwest where we're investing. And we're all shocked because Detroit had a bad press for so many years. You know, it was like the city that went bankrupt and like you have like this violence and all kind of bad things. But people don't talk about the comeback of Detroit. And uh, I mean, you've been there, you saw that the city is really coming back. Now it's not going to be the whole city because it's a pretty large city. You know, it was built uh, back in the day uh, at the glory of uh, automobile. It was built for 2 million people. And I think we're done to like 600,000 or something like that. So uh, you have to be very careful. But to answer your question, so... Um, I have to go back to my roots in Florida. I was doing uh, I was doing my brokerage. I had at the same time I was doing some kind of turnkey uh, properties for my uh, European investor. I was selling in France, Switzerland, Belgium, uh, all over Europe, and they were looking for two things. They were looking for a return. They wanted a cap rate. They wanted a low price because usually well, sometimes they have to pay cash. You know, they're foreigners, so they can't really have access to um, financing or anything like that. So usually you have a, a price tag maximum at, at 150. So anything lower than that, it needs to be lower than 150. And usually they want at least a 10% cap rate because in their mind, you know, it doesn't justify like taking the risk to invest overseas in a country where I don't know the law, I don't speak the language, if I don't at least get the 10% cap. So that was the two criteria. And we found it for about a year in Florida. 
Uh, and and then the price just jumped up, you know, like Florida, I've been crazy these last few years. So there wasn't any cap rate anymore. We could provide like maybe a 4%, 5%, and we couldn't really find anyone anymore. So um, all of the financial advisor I was working with at the time told me like, hey, we still have some capital to, to invest, but you need to find something better than, than Florida. So I just took a map, you know, and I, I tried to figure out, I did my due diligence, like where are the cities in America where you have low price and very high cap rate. Um, it gets down to like, where was at the time, like about six cities, something like that. So I just dig dive into it. And, you know, I looked into Cleveland, I looked into Pittsburgh, I looked into New Orleans. Uh, I looked into some areas in uh, in Alabama. I don't remember the name of it, but I look at a whole bunch of different markets. But there wasn't such uh, any market as distressed as Detroit at the time. And uh, so I just went there. You know, I knew a few people were investing there, and I was actually quite surprised because I was really expecting to see a ghost city. You know, uh, I was expecting to see Miami during a hurricane. You know, like all bodied up, like all the picture you can see online. But uh, it was actually quite different. I mean, the downtown area was starting to come back. There was like uh, Dan, uh, Dan Gilbert of uh, Quicken Launch. He invested a, a ton oh, yeah. of capital in the downtown area and. It was very fancy. I mean, it looks like some area of Chicago, you know, or New York. Right. I really liked it. And then I went into the neighborhood and it just blew my mind. I mean, you could buy some houses for like 30K, 40K. And on paper, it looks great. I mean, you had a very high uh, return on investment. And this was exactly what my kind of investor were looking for. So uh, we just decided to go there and we tried the market at first. I brought... Uh, uh, I brought at the tax auction about um, 20 houses at the time, uh, a portfolio of 20 houses. And then we read it and we, we advertised it in Europe. And we had a lot of success. We, we sold all of those houses in like a three-month period or something like that. So uh, we had a proof of concept. So from there, it was just like scaling things up. Um, quick enough, the, the financial advisor told me that if they have to sell something turnkey, it means we have to do the property management in-house, which wasn't something I wanted to do, but I had no choice to continue to sell. So we set up a property management company in-house and we were really doing the full uh, operation, you know, from acquisition, management, disposition, everything was ready in-house, um, which was a headache, by the way. That's that's a business I, I really don't, I wouldn't uh, uh, go back in that anymore, but... Um, but yeah, that's that's what happened. Yeah, man, that is absolutely awesome. The way that you entered into Detroit, you, you did, actually did your analysis. And actually, uh, Ohio, for me, is also a really great market as well. I yeah. see a lot of people crushing it in Ohio. Uh, just the same thing, you know, low low cost uh, and then high cap rates. And, and, and the same thing that yeah. the the ARV uh, is there. And usually the assignment fees just make sense. And even if you're holding into properties, you're getting that 1%. You know what I mean? You're getting that 1%, sometimes more than 1% of what uh, you would get whenever if you were to rent it out or even do Airbnbs. And these are areas that are just like being developed. Uh, for people that don't know about Detroit, 
Uh, he, he, uh, John actually mentioned Dan Gilbert, and he is heavily investing in downtown, heavily investing in Midtown, heavily investing in many areas, and many other many other investors and these corporations, including the automotives, where uh, they're actually taking something that basically was one of the best cities in the 1950s to live and to be in the United States, along with Chicago and New York. And uh, it, it just went into a decline. But now they want to get it back because it's uh, if you go to downtown Detroit, it's a beautiful downtown. It's honestly has really great architecture. It has one of the best architectures from, uh, you know, I want to say the 1930s, 20s, uh, all that century. And, and it has really great buildings. Um, and when you go into the neighborhoods, you just see that there was, used to be a lot of wealth. Uh, and Yuan is actually mastering the art of wholesaling and real estate investing in that city. Um, so I'm pretty sure Yuan has a lot to offer in terms of if you ever want to get into any of those type of markets, Ohio, Michigan, even Florida, and tell you exactly how that works and how you can crush it. But let's talk a little bit more of uh, the nitty-gritty things because I'd love to get some uh, juice from you, Yon. And uh, I'd love to understand, so what was your first approach in going into Detroit? Even though you saw a lot of opportunity in auctions, you saw a lot of opportunity with other uh, wholesalers out there, but you wanted to do wholesaling. What was your first approach in order to start uh, continuously doing like deals per month? Like, what was your first approach? Because you're you're very uh, systems oriented and you're uh, very uh, business savvy. So tell us, please. So I think in order to go to the wholesale, I have to I have to explain why I came to this transition from doing the turnkey to actually went going into wholesaling. So. You were talking about the the, um, the other cities in the Midwest, uh, especially in Ohio, like Toledo or Cleveland. Those are great markets as well. And it was one of my frustrations for many years as a turnkey operator. I was trying to scale my business because I knew that we could uh, find the same kind of house in those different markets. But it was a heavy machine to move, you know, like we had construction crews in house, we had the property management. It, it was very heavy and difficult to, to do that in different states. Uh, Turnkey is a business, I mean, there's a few operators who really scale it out, but it's very hard to go doing like hundreds of deals every every year. Uh, so uh, I just, I went to Ohio several times and I just put it on the sideline. Now, when I was buying houses at auction, um, my goal was really to do fix and flip, you know, for my turnkey business. but. There was always some houses that I didn't really like, you know, um, some houses that I didn't feel like I would manage later on. So those houses, I would wall sell them. Um, I, I kind of discovered wall selling from scratch. You know, I was just buying some properties from wall sellers. So uh, I was kind of wondering at the beginning, what's this assignment fee that I see on the paperwork? And then I realized that a guy was actually making some money out of it. So I tried to really understand the, the full picture but i wasn't really into world setting like it wasn't really my thing i was doing yeah. maybe like 10 percent of my deal flow from world setting it was really just the stuff that I, I didn't like um and from there you know uh what really changed for us is is covid when covid happened um 
I had, you know, all of Sudan in March, uh, I was stuck at home and I had to rethink my entire business model. Like I did several time in my life. I had to put everything on uh, back on paper and like dive deep into it. And at the time, you know, the challenge, the biggest challenge I had is that I had a lot of overhead because it was really a navy machine to move. Uh, COVID happened and, you know, in those class C, class D areas we were investing in in Detroit, a lot of tenants actually stopped paying rent. So the property management business was in a very difficult situation. And most of it, the French owner and the European buyers that we actually sell those houses to, now they were coming after us saying, hey, you promised me a cap rate and I'm not getting this return anymore. So it was kind of a big challenge for us. And I, at the time, you know, when I was thinking about all of it, I read two books that really changed my life. Um, the first one was a book named The Pumpkin Plan. It's a guy named uh, Mike uh, Mikhailovich, I think, something like that. I probably butcher his name, but yeah. it's a, a, this. So this first book um, made me realize that, you know, world setting was actually the part that I never really heard about those customers ever again. It was really an easy deal, you know, easy transaction. We closed it right away. It was very fast. We make a small fee compared to what we were making on our um, on our fixed and fit project, but it was an easy business and something we could really scale. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, I had the turnkey business, and the turnkey business was very management intensive. You know, I had to have a customer service to take care of those investors, and we had to do the property management company, which is something that I hated so much because. We had such a high level of stress in the in the office um, from property management because you know dealing with class C class D tenants it's not it's not yeah. an easy work it's very management intensive so um, a lot of headaches were coming from this turnkey business but I was doing that for a while because it was profitable now COVID happened and the European investor all of a sudden they stopped buying like we went from doing ten houses a month from to doing zero houses because. I guess a lot of people in Europe, you know, didn't add the visibility as what was going to happen on the U.S. market. And we believe that the market was going to crash. A lot of people were expecting actually the market to go down like it was the case in 2007. Like they were already expecting to see the same thing. And they just stopped buying all of Sudan. So I had all the overhead, all the edX, but I, don't, I didn't have the money coming in anymore. So... I was thinking, you know, I need to find a way, a better way to do business. And then world sales seems to really be the good way for me to do because we were on already doing that. We knew that we'd never had any edX with this kind of customer. And I could see that it was something that I could scale. I remember when I was telling that on the turnkey, it was hard to go to Ohio and open an office in Cleveland because I had to do a lot of stuff. Now with the world sale model, we can basically, from our office in Detroit, we can do deals all over the country. So it's what I really love about world setting is this ability to scale, you know, and especially with virtual world setting. Um, and, you know, fast forward, uh, it was at the beginning of 2020. The first year was really a, a test for me. Uh, so I, I I had to let go most of my team. I just kept my, my administrative staff. and. Uh, I was the one doing everything, you know, acquisition, disposition. I had still my transaction coordinator and my bookkeeper, but I was really trying a whole bunch of different marketing techniques. And 
just by doing that like this, we did about um, 65 um, deals last year uh, on the on the world set, and we wrap up a few uh, a few turnkey projects as well. And uh, and from there, you know, I had my proof of concept. So uh, this year we really scaled it up. And what really helped me is the second book that I read at the time uh, at the beginning of COVID, which was Traction. And Traction really gives us, you know, right. the guideline as far as, you know, setting up a process and really mapping up everything, have a very clear accountability chart. And here you go. There you go. We have Traction right here. Yeah. I haven't finished it, but I definitely recommend it. It's uh, an amazing it book. And this is where... When I read this book, I realized that, you know, uh, one of the mistakes that I did in the several business I had over the last 12 years was this ability to really step out to work on the business and not in the business. You know, I, I've always been like wearing many hats at the time and uh, doing several things at the time. And it's really uh, when you put very good people in place, you know, people who really understand your vision and uh, fit your core values. And uh, and from there, you can really step out, delegate and work on your processes and, you know, growing the business. And that's what I did. And, you know, uh, 2021 has been an amazing year for us so far. We're doing on average about 12 deals per month. And we're really starting to scale this thing up because uh, uh, now we open different markets. And now we're in, uh, in Ohio as well. We market in Toledo, in Cleveland, in Akron. We're all over Southeast Michigan and we're doing a few deals even nationwide. Like we do a few deals in, in Memphis, Tennessee. We, we did a few in Florida. So uh, we're really scaling up this, this virtual world setting model. Love it, man. Like, let's step back a little bit. Let's step back a little bit here. Yeah. So, uh, so you, uh, when you did your pivot, man, uh, I'm pretty sure a lot of things uh, went through your head and a lot of people actually think that uh, whenever you do a pivot or you change your business or you have to start from scratch, is that you're truly failing. Right now, you're becoming an, you're that online hustler because you're doing this online and you can do this anywhere. Like you do this virtually um, and you uh, fly, fly to meet your team in Detroit, but you live in Florida. Uh, but tell me about uh, that transition because a lot of people just think that, look, if I just stop doing what I'm doing, I'm going to fail. If I'm going to start something new, I'm going to fail. But it's just a pivot that sometimes we have to go through. So really just tell us, I know you had to let go of people. I know you had to go through that uh, emotional uh, part or, or maybe it was just like a transactional part. But uh, just tell us about how was that transition and like really what was, what, what was yeah. in your mind? Yeah. Well, I mean, for me, you know, in my mind, it was, it was still the same company. It was just a transition from, you know, uh, one end of the spectrum to the other. We were still doing world sitting, but world sitting was 10% of the business and turnkey was 90%. And all of a sudden, I switched everything to do 90% world sitting and 10% flipping, buying rentals and all of that. So uh, for me, it was just a natural transition. But uh, I mean, I really, I really own it to this book, um, The Pumpkin Plan, because it really blew my mind, you know, like uh, it's what they say, you know, like what, what brings you here is not what's going to bring you to the next step. And I really knew that I had an issue I needed to fix. Uh, and uh, I was, I had too much risk, you know, uh, with market condition, you know, when, when market change all of a sudden on the turnkey business, you're, you're very dependent on your buyer. Why on the world setting, you can adapt. And I think 
it's really uh, it's really that you know it's being able to to switch depending on the market condition. I mean, as far as right now, world selling is ninety percent of our business now. Uh, tomorrow we come into a recession and there is like a lot of foreclosure and stuff like that. I'm probably going to come back strong on the fix and flip um, uh, market. You know, um, I might buy rentals uh, tomorrow. I might do turnkey all over again. Who knows? I think you you just have to adapt. You know, I think it's one it's one same business. You know, I, I saw so many people online like you know uh, saying nasty thing like realtors saying nasty thing about wall sellers or fix and flipper because they're they're upset that wall sellers you know advertise to the same distressed sellers so they have to kind of overpay for it. In my opinion, it's the same and only business, and it's really what we're doing right now. We're advertising. We're really specialized in advertising and helping distressed sellers. From there, we analyze the deal. If it's a wall sale deal, it's going to be that 90% of the time. It's fine. We wall sell it. Now, if it fits our fix and flip um, buying guidelines, we're going to fix and flip. And I'm buying some rental as well. And uh, I already started this year. Uh, I wish I would have started earlier, you know, to accumulate some rentals, but I'm really into it now. And my goal from next year is really to keep 20% of whatever volume of wall sale we do to keep it as rental and really grow a portfolio yeah. from there. And you also have um, broker partners or realtor people that, that you can... Yeah, we're with. actually doing it in-house now. So we have... Uh, I got all my staff licensed. Um, uh, that's something I was hesitating to do uh, for a long time. But, you know, laws are changing. I don't know if you heard, but apparently now in Oklahoma, it's uh, it's becoming yeah. illegal to do some world setting. In uh, Illinois, uh, you, you can only like world sell one deal per year. So, you know... As I say, wall selling is trendy. You know, we see that everywhere these days. So obviously, with all this light on wall selling, regulation gonna come. It's a it's a natural thing, and I didn't yeah. want it to be in a rush. You know, and have to get everybody licensed right on spot because the law changed in uh, in Michigan. So we did we did everything in advance, and now everybody is licensed in uh, Michigan, Ohio, and we have some guys licensed in Florida as well. So we're really ready to do everything. And since we have those agents in-house, now we take the listing ourselves.